check. There we go. Always helps when you turn it on. It always helps when you turn it on. Um, it's so good to see you today. You doing okay? Well, that was... Man, if I had to take that evidence to court, I'd lose the case. So, anyway, it's so good to see you here this morning. And uh, glad to have you. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you've taken the time to join us this morning. And uh, some of you... You're repeat offenders. You just keep coming back and visiting with us. We're so glad you're here. I hope you know that. Um, if you haven't had the chance yet to, to fill out the online, uh, the, the digital connection card, if you want to do that, we would never harass you about that. But um, there's a way you can do that in the bulletin or online if you're watching at home. I just want to take some time to um, make a few announcements. I can get my mess made here. Um, first of all, there will be a baby shower next Sunday afternoon uh, at 2 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall for Michael Sturgeon. Um, that's James's daughter. Uh, they're expecting, she's expecting a baby girl. And uh, just make sure you look. And there are um, selections at Walmart and Amazon. Uh, so make sure you take a look at that. Put that on your calendar. Um, also, uh, next week, Cold Creek Creation Camp is going on. It's, for, it's a free day camp for kids uh, entering grades 1 to 6. And it's sponsored by Grace Gathering Bible Church in Lano. If you have any questions, make sure you see Carrie Owen about that. Uh, and then finally, uh, we have Mission San Saba. It's coming up on the 24th. We'll provide a meal for that. If you're interested in helping, make sure you see uh, Barbara or Sue. Um, any other announcements? Yes, ma'am? Okay, thank you. <clears throat> All right, excellent. Mission San Saba is covered. So if you wanted to help... I guess you can't now. <laughs> yes, sir. Happy well, I was about to do that. Well, thank you. Well, <laughs> all right. Well, on that note, happy Father's Day to all the fathers that are here today. And if you're visiting with us online, happy Father's Day to you as well. I want to read a verse of scripture from Ephesians chapter 6. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, we live in a time, and I can't tell you exactly how long of a time we can kind of Take time and, and, and look back to see the disintegration of the family and uh, and fatherhood uh, being a um, some collateral damage in that. And, and there's a hole in our society where um, you can see the impact that fatherlessness has had on, on homes, on cities, societies. And so um, the church has an answer. It's Jesus Christ. And when fathers, wherever they are in their life, wherever they are in their walk with their kids and with Christ, there's always room for improvement. There's always more you can do to be like Christ. There's always more that you can do to show your kids what Christ looks like. There's always grace for the time when you could say, wow, that did not go well. And to model that for your kids. 
So wherever you are in your relationship with your kids, I pray today, fathers, that that you're honored, that you're loved, that you're cherished. The Bible speaks highly of you, regardless of what society says. So hear what the word of the Lord says. Take it to heart through the power of the Holy Spirit and your love for your family. Put it into effect. I want to pray for all the fathers in the room. Um, and then we'll have um, our call to worship. Father, we are indeed grateful for fathers. Um, we know that you make no mistakes um, in the Garden of Eden. Uh, you created Adam and Eve, created Adam in your own image. Eve, likewise, from Adam being created from his rib. And you told them to be fruitful and multiply. So from the very beginning, your plan has been for fathers to lead their families, to lead their wives, uh, to be a positive impact not only on the family but on society. I thank you for the fathers in this room. And, Father, I pray that they would be built up today and encouraged. Um, Lord, if they need grace today, and some of them very well may need that, I pray that they would know that they can turn to you and find that grace If there are relationships that need to be mended today, I pray that they would have the boldness and the assurance from the Bible that when they take the right steps, that you are honored and they can trust you as a good God with the outcome. I thank you, Father, uh, for all that you are to us and all that you are to fathers. We rejoice in you. We love you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to ask you, if you would, to please stand for this morning's call to worship. It comes from Psalm 108, verses 1 through 5. I'll read the first screen. You join with me on the second screen. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great above the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Let's worship together.
amazing and overwhelming that it is your wrath that we deserve and yet it is your love that we receive. And so we worship you this morning and we say to you that we are just a vapor, a mist in this life, but you are all. And a hundred years from now, no one may care that James Sturgeon walked through. But millions of years from now, everyone will know that Jesus Christ will be with you. And so we worship you this morning, Father. Be glorified in us. Children, if you'll come down for the children's sermon. Sorry, I didn't know it was a video of a children's sermon.
questions that were up here. Did you guys come to Vacation Bible School this week? Yes. You did? Um, what did you guys learn about this week? That we're made in God's image. We're made in God's image. What else? Somebody? Jesus. Hmm? Jesus. Jesus. That's important, isn't it? Um, as I was looking at all the decorations last week and I didn't know very much about what you guys were going to study this week, but uh, it looked to me like maybe you were going to talk about God being a creator and a designer. Did you talk about that? Yes. And that he created everything? Do you know what? From the beginning to the end of this Bible, I read that God created everything. So I thought I'd just read it to you this morning. You want me to read the whole Bible? No? <laughs> um, it would take a while, yes. Um, an interesting thing, the Bible was written by many people, right? Over a period of 1,600 years. And I know you guys are little, but you're smart, right? 1,600 is a big number. It's a lot of years, and you probably can't even conceive of that. Even the grown-ups out here, I want you to think about this. This is the year 2022, right? <laughs> so 1,600 years ago would have been the year what? 400? what the world was like in the year 400 up to now. That's 1,600 years. That's how long God took to reveal himself to all these different people and have them write it down in the Bible. And so, but everything from the beginning to the end says the same thing. Moses says in the very first verse of the Bible, and I would say that whatever is the first verse is pretty important, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then again, Moses says, um, for in six days, six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. And then years, many years later, the prophet Nehemiah, he was a, a trusted servant and advisor to King Artaxerxes. He, he was a great man. And he wrote, and he said, Thou alone art God. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, you give life to all of them, and the angels bow down and worship you. So now we've got Moses, we've got a prophet named Nehemiah, and if you flip over to the New Testament, the Apostle John in the Bible says he was the apostle that Jesus loved. Don't you think he probably loved all the apostles? So that must mean he had a really special love for John. Well, John says, in the beginning was the Word, and he's talking about Jesus. 
and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So there's John the Apostle. You flip on over to Colossians, and Paul says, um, for by him, by Jesus, all things, Jesus, right? Yes. Yes. By Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, things we can't even see. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. And if you go to the very end, okay, if the first thing the Bible says was important, probably the last things it says are important as well. And in Revelation 4.11, John writes, Worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you did create all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. So from the beginning to end, over a period of 1,600 years, everyone has said the same thing. They all give witness to the fact that God created everything. Let's praise him, okay? Father, Lord, we just praise you this morning, acknowledging that you are the creator and the designer of everything we can see and everything that we cannot see. Father, you are amazing. When we look around us and see the beauty of your creation, Lord, it just blows me away. And Father, I worship you. I worship you for these beautiful children. They are fearfully and wonderfully made. And Father, I know that you created them for a purpose because your Bible says so. Father, I just pray for each one of them that you would open their hearts, that they would learn of you, and come to know you in a saving way. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to teach you a new old song. I'm sorry. Oh. Miss Betty. I'm sorry. We're going to read scripture, and then I'm going to teach you an old new song. the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back, O mountains, that you skip like rams, O hills like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. Now I'm going to teach you a new old song. This is called the Servant Song. Mm -hmm. 
sing this over you to start? The melody is real simple.
servants of one another. Servants to a lost and dying world. That you may be glorified and lifted high above all. In the name of Jesus Christ alone we pray and God's people say. Amen. If you would please take your copy of God's word and turn to the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, we're currently in a sermon series on in 1 Timothy. And if you've been with us, you notice that there's a, kind of a theme to uh, the titles of the sermons. They all have the word contending in them. Um, James preached last week on contending for leadership and preaching to us about overseers or elders. And I'll continue that series, uh, that a part two of contending for leadership and, and preaching about deacons today in 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13. While you're turning there, I did want to say to you that, that last week was the Southern Baptist Convention, Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting. You may not know anything about that. You may not have known that it was going on, any of the, anything that transpired there. Uh, but I do want to encourage you to come back tonight because there's some things that I would like to share with you uh, that kind of flow into, uh, they're, they're related, I think, to, to chapter 3. Um, in, in kind of a in a similar way, um, but there's some issues in the Southern Baptist Convention that are worth knowing about. Uh, so I would ask, pray, uh, encourage you to come back uh, tonight. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? First Timothy chapter three. This is verses one through eight, and again, this is God's Word. Deacons likewise must be men of dignity, not double-tongued. Or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. These men must also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their households. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for your word and for how um, even though this was written more than 1,500 years ago, more than 1,600 years ago, that this still applies to us today. There may be parts of the Old Testament that no longer apply to us, but this is as true for us today uh, as the day it was written. So we pray that you take the truth that is revealed here, that you would apply it uh, to all of our hearts. Um, help us to see why this needs to be in the Scriptures. It's for our good. We also pray, Father, more than anything else, that Christ would be exalted. And if there are those here, they're here today that have never entered into a saving relationship with Christ Jesus. That would happen today. Even though that's not the focus of today's text, we know that your spirit can do great and mighty things. And we put all of our trust in you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. The Apostle Paul is, I, I believe we can all 
agree with this statement. He is as concerned about the gospel and about the church as anyone who has ever lived. Uh, he wrote many letters, 13 letters in the New Testament. Um, and in those, you find that the Apostle Paul, he really is focused on the gospel and on the gospel making of people, a body of Christ, um, Christ assembling a body of his own making, and that through that body, that God would reach the world. That is plan A. It's not God's plan B. And we have seen, as we read through, as we've gone through the book of 1 Timothy, uh, that Paul has touched upon a number of different issues. Very concerned about false teachers. Very concerned about order in the church. Very concerned about uh, using the right kinds of methods in the church to contend for the gospel, to contend for right teaching, to contend for leadership, to contend for women. That all of that comes into play as Paul writes. Like I said, appreciate James uh, expounding on chapter 3, verses 1 through 7 on overseers, also known as elders, bishops, um, pastors, all talk about all of these terms, talk about the same office. But here this morning we get to the second office that the church, when I say the church, I, I want to say specifically um, Baptist churches. Um, and I want to say even more specifically our church. We recognize the office of, of pastor, elder, bishop, overseer, and we recognize the office of deacons. There may be other churches that have um, other offices, but we as congregationalists, believe that uh, we have the authority uh, and, and we can, from Scripture, know how we ought to govern our own church. So this morning, as we turn to deacons, um, you may not really be well versed in the answer to this question, what is a deacon? What is a deacon? Well, you can't turn to first definitions in the New Testament and, and find a definition for deacon. In fact, you have to do what really is a word study of the word deacon or where, what it comes from. And it's, it, it's the, the noun diakonos, which is translated sometimes deacon, it appears 29 times in the New Testament. And in the New American Standard Version, and, and I'm reading from the 95 uh, edition, 19 times deacon is translated servant. Seven times it's translated minister. Three times it's translated deacon. And those three places are Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and then here in our text this morning in, in verse 8 and verse 12. You may have another translation uh, that points to um, Romans 16, 1 as a place where the word deacon appears. Uh, but you often find that, and I don't mean this, um, I just want you to hear it uh, from a a generous heart. Um, there are versions of the Bible that translations of the Bible that you could say they are they have an agenda to them. They may be gender inclusive in some places that they ought not be. Then the New Revised Standard Edition, the New Living, and then the New International Version in versions after 1984 have a tendency to be 
uh, I would say, overly generous with some of their translation. And in, Philippian, in, in Romans 16, 1, you will find that they call a lady named Phoebe a deaconess. I think that's a motivated reading, personally. Um, the noun diakonia appears 34 times in the New Testament in the New American Standard 95. 20 times it's translated ministry. Seven times it's translated service. Three times it's translated serving. And in the last four places it appears, it's translated in four different ways. As preparations, relief, mission, and support. The verb diakoneo appears 37 times in the New Testament. And in the New American Standard 95, 16 times it's translated serve. Four times as minister. Uh, four times as wait on. Four times as minister to. And in the last nine places, it's translated nine different ways. Take care of, the serving, servant, contributing to the support, care, administer, administration, services rendered, and employ in serving. So I think as we do a word study, we get an idea as to what, what is the nature of this office. Well, again, I want to say this is one of two church offices that's recognized in the New Testament, that being elder and deacon. So a deacon, we could say, is a person in the office of deacon who cares for the needs and livelihood of a spiritual, uh, an, an assembly of believers. John MacArthur, by the way, it's John MacArthur's birthday, as it is Charles Spurgeon's birthday. MacArthur says that deacons are models of spiritual service who work alongside the elders, implementing their preaching, teaching, and oversight in the practical life of the church. Uh, an author named Hammett, who, wrote, who writes on Baptist history, uh, says that deacons are a servant of the church, caring for the needs and general serving. He also elaborates by saying that nothing in the background of the word diakonos or any of the, the, the parent, the, 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 all, the similar words, suggests that it's a role of leadership or authority. Another church historian from Southern Seminary says that deacon is the office of service. So we've, I think, sufficiently answered the question, what is a deacon? It's, it's a person who serves in an office of service to the church. But what do deacons do? Again, you can't turn in the New Testament to first job descriptions, 1-1, and find what the definition or the job description of a deacon is. In fact, if you look in the Old Testament, you will find that there is an Old Testament precedent for elder, but there is none for deacon. Now, all I mean by that is simply this, that the Old Testament can inform us on our understanding on the, of the role of elder, but not that of deacon, since there's no office like it in the Old Testament. And I want to say that if Acts chapter 6 is the place where the office of deacon began, then Acts 6 gives to us a general guidance for the work of deacon. And the reason I say if, if this is where the office of deacon began, is because the word deacon does not appear in Acts 6. Nor does the word deacon appear anywhere in the book of Acts. Now one thing that's helpful for us is to, um, as we translate, I'm not translate, as we interpret the Bible, there are particular rules that we ought to keep in mind as we read the Bible and interpret it. And one of those rules is to look at a section of scripture and to ask the question, is this prescriptive or is it descriptive does it prescribe something that must be done or does it just describe something that took place and i want to contend that act six is not prescriptive 
In other words, it doesn't say that this is exactly how it ought to be done because there are no more apostles. So, so there's no uh, direct correlation between Acts 6 and, and, and how we do things. But nevertheless, even though, and, and you may disagree with me, that this isn't prescriptive, we can derive from it principles that still guide the church in selecting deacons. Remember the apostles, they brought the deacons, they brought to the church a particular issue, a problem that was threatening church unity. And they asked the church to set aside seven men they could put in charge of the task of distributing food to widows. And they told the church, don't just find any men, select seven men of this certain kind of character who meet these qualifications. And then the church brought them to the elders and they laid hands on them and they prayed with them. So we, have, we can derive some principles from Acts 6, even though it's a, it's a descriptive section of Scripture. What do deacons do? They serve the church in ways that are not specifically reserved for the office of elder. Now, that might bring up a few questions in your mind. What about Stephen? Stephen was a deacon. He's listed as one of the seven in Acts chapter 6. What about Stephen? Didn't he preach? No, he didn't preach. Well, at least not recorded in Acts. In Acts, in, in, when he makes a defense before the Sanhedrin, he's not preaching to the assembly. He's simply making a defense for his faith in front of those who are about to kill him. What about Philip? Well, one thing to keep in mind is that after Stephen was martyred for his faith, what happened to the church? It was scattered. And the office of deacon was set aside particularly for that church. There were no more churches in other places. So what Philip did as an evangelist, um, I think we have to keep in mind that he may not be a deacon anymore in the Jerusalem church because it doesn't exist any longer. He's an evangelist carrying out the Great Commission. Well, what about the fact that he did a baptism? Again, I think there are many things that you can find in Scripture that are descriptive, not prescriptive. Because the thief on the cross didn't get baptized, should we stop baptizing people? No. It just describes what happened in Scripture. Wayne Grudem, a theologian, in his systematic theology, writes this. The function of deacons is not spelled out here. He's talking about um, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3. But the qualifications for deacons, and here's where I want you to listen. What do deacons do? He says the qualifications listed here in, uh, in chapter 3 suggest some functions. For instance, they seem to have had some responsibility in caring for the finances of the church since they had to be people who were not greedy for dishonest gain. They perhaps had some administrative responsibilities in other activities of the church because they were to manage their children and households well. They may have also ministered to the physical needs of those in the church or community who needed help. Moreover, if verse 11 speaks of their wives as in the ESV, then it would also likely be that they were involved in some house-to-house -house visitation and counseling because the wives are to be not slanderers. 
It would do no good for the church if the wives of deacons, who would no doubt also be involved in prayer and counseling along with the deacons, spread confidential matters around the church. But these are only suggestions of possible areas of responsibility hinted at in the passage. So the next question is, why are deacons necessary? Why is it necessary that a church have deacons? Well, if you go back to Acts chapter 6, uh, there was a problem in the church. And the problem was that the Hellenistic um, Jew, that Hellenistic widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of bread. And it was a problem that threatened the unity of the church. And so that's why the apostles said, they said, it's not right for us to wait on tables. Now, they don't mean that menially. That, they're not looking down at something. This is what their understanding is. Now, and, and I'm going to use the word elder here and not apostle. That the office of elder does not serve all the needs of the church. Now, again, I'm not equating apostle and elder. Apostles are their delegates or the ones who at this point in church history are appointing elders in the churches. However, we could say there's no doubt in my mind, and I think you could say in yours as well, at least I hope so, that the, that the apostles, they're eminently qualified to be elders. Yet, the offices of apostle and elder are distinct. There's no longer any apostles in churches, anywhere. I don't care what those people call themselves. The office of apostle is gone. When the last apostle died, the office and the authority of that office ceased to exist. However, I think it's reasonable for us to conclude that much of the ministry of the apostles is carried on through elders. As in teaching and preaching, shepherding, praying, leading. So why are deacons necessary? It's simply this. The church and also the mission of the church would suffer if elders had to spend an inordinate amount of time and energy on tasks outside the, the duties and calling of their office. That's what the apostles said. If we spend our time waiting on tables, it will divide what it is that we're supposed to do. It will divert our attention away from what we have been called to do, which is to preach and to pray. So this is why deacons are necessary. The two offices of elder and deacon, they reflect a division of labor in the church that's for the health and the well-being of the church. Then also I think we could say this, why are deacons necessary? So that we can be faithful to scripture. And I know that matters to us. Who can be a deacon? Well, now you're wondering, maybe at this point you're wondering, are you ever going to get to the text? Yes, let's look at the text. In verse 9, speaking about deacons, it says, But holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now that term, mystery of the faith, is talking about the gospel. Mystery there is not something that we don't know what it is, as if we need Scooby-Doo and Shaggy and, you know, and, and that bunch to come and solve the mystery what it means, it's something that, that was not known before, but is known now. And what is known now is that Christ Jesus is the Son of God. He came to earth, lived a perfect life, died in the place of sinners, took their sin upon himself, 
paid the full payment for sin, died, was buried. Three days later, he was resurrected from the dead to show that full payment had been made for sin. And he ascended and he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And anyone who hears that message and is convicted by the Holy Spirit of their sin may place the full weight of their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and be saved. That's what it means to hold the mystery of the gospel. In other words, a deacon can't just be anyone off the street. It's got, a deacon must be a believer. There are churches that have a belong before you believe approach to church. And what I mean by that is this. They may have people who are lost serving in places in the church just so long as, you know, they're under the watch care or the oversight of someone who is officially sanctioned by the church um, to, to serve in that area. And it's, you know, we want to make sure that, that they see us as a people and, and understand who we are before they understand why we are what we are. Deacons cannot be that way. Deacons must be believers. Who else can be a deacon? Let's look, verse 8, it says deacons likewise must be, and I want to tell you, in the New American Standard, because this is a masculine adjective, or it's actually a noun, um, men of dignity, it's in the masculine, okay? And I want to come right out and say that. They must be men of dignity. And it also says in verse 10, these men must also uh, first be tested. Then it says in verse 12, deacons must be the husbands of only one wife. Okay, that's, that's as plain as day. But I also want to point out to you that if you look in verse 11, and I'm reading from the New American Standard 95, and the first word in that verse says women. But there's a footnote there, and if you follow your finger down to the bottom, wherever you find verse 11 footnotes, it says this, either deacons, wives, or deaconesses. Now, if you look in a, in a majority of translations, they will say their wives. But I'm here to tell you, not that those are wrong, but I'm here, I'm here to tell you that's not my position. I believe that there is enough room here in the text to say that both men and women can be deacons. Now, that is my position. That is, does not need to be your position, and it's not the position of this church. All I'm saying is this. I believe scripture opens the door for there to be women deacons. And I'll tell you another reason why I, I think Paul intends that. And, and I want to speak to this more tonight. There's some things I can't get into for the sake of time uh, to, to, to help you understand why, how I came to that conclusion. That I believe that men and women can be deacons based on what the scripture says. But I think Paul is, is okay with that because, and remember I preached this before, Paul contends for women. He doesn't push them down because Christ never did that. All right, I'm still standing. Nobody threw anything. I do want to tell you that there are some additional considerations that I think every church has to deal with when they answer the question, who, must be, who can be a deacon? Now back to the text. Verse 10 says, in answering the question, who can be a deacon, it's someone who has first been tested. Someone who has first been 
tested. It says in verse 10, these men must, must also first be tested. The verb, now I want to point out that when it says must be tested, that is a command. It is an imperative of command. And the verb translated tested is the verb dokimazo, and it occurs in the New Testament in the sense of testing, evaluating, proving, or examining both things and people. It can also be used in metaphorical references to testing buildings and precious metals. It can indicate measuring Christian character, testing the will of God, examining oneself, and regarding a person as approved or qualified. I want to say here, Paul is not writing a church manual. He doesn't tell you that there's got to be a bulletin and someone standing at the door when you walk in. There's got to be a call to worship. He's not writing that type of letter. The reason I bring that up is because he doesn't tell us exactly how the testing should take place. Paul does say they must be tested. Then if they show themselves to be above reproach, then let them serve. And that is an imperative of permission. If they're tested and they want to serve, let them serve. But if they're tested and they don't want to serve, this is not a commandment that every person who passes the test of deacon must serve. But I want you to notice that the imperative of command comes before the imperative of permission. Not every person who wants to be a deacon may be able to serve as a deacon. That person may not be able to pass the test. Next question, what must deacons be? This gets to character. And deacons must be people of steadfast, godly character. If you go back to Acts chapter 6, and you consider why, if that is the place where deacons, the office of deacon was first created, why were they, why were they put into the role that they were in? Because there was a threat to the unity of the church. Deacons must be people who strive for the unity of the church in their service. But then also when you think about the character of a deacon, Paul elaborates on that. In verse 8, he says they ought to be men of dignity or dignified. That means that they're worthy of respect, they're worthy of honor, they're noble, they're serious. And they act in ways that are appropriate for the office in which they serve. It's fitting. It says deacons must be double, not be double-tongued. That would have been awkward. Deacons must not be double-tongued. They must not be prone to hypocritical or insincere speech. They must not say one thing to one group of people and then say something totally different to another group. Not two-faced. They must not be addicted to much wine, not fond of sordid or dishonest gain. Verse 9 talks about how they are to hold to the mystery of the faith. And it says, with a clear conscience. And all that simply means is that a deacon's, a deacon's conscience should not condemn him for any noticeable gap between belief and behavior. That's all that means. doesn't mean that that person's not a Christian. It just means that you know when your conscience is getting to you. When you profess one thing... And you do another. Paul is saying that deacons must hold to the truth of the gospel, the mystery of the faith, with a clear conscience. He says in verse 12, they must be husbands of only one wife. Now what that means, and I appreciate what James said last week, and I agree with it. 
He's a one-woman man. That means that the that a deacon, like my dad, married a, a lady who was divorced, but she had ample reason, biblical precedent for doing that. He did nothing wrong by marrying her because my mom passed away. There are situations like that. And I'm going to tell you, in, in August, dad will have been married, let's see, 2010, 20, 12 years. He was faithful to my mom for a long time. He was a one-woman man. She died. Now he's a one-woman one woman man. That's what I believe one-woman man means. Also, verse 12 says they must be good managers of their children in their own households. Verse 11, again, whether this is talking about the wives of deacons or to deaconesses, there is a character requirement. They must be dignified. They must act in ways that are fitting of uh, their area of service. They must be worthy of respect and honor. They must be noble and serious. They cannot be malicious gossips. They cannot slander the, relation, the, the reputations of other people. And they have to be temperate. Now that can mean two things. One, that they, they, they don't need to be drunkards. They, need to have, they can have wine in moderation. But it also means that they're sober-minded. They're temperate in their actions. They're restrained in their conduct. And then finally, it says that they're faithful in all things. Now again, Paul's not writing a church manual. He doesn't say everything that could be said. We should notice this and note it. Mark it down. That aside from able to teach, the list of character traits that must be found in elders and deacons aren't necessarily exclusive. Uh, if one trait is found in elders but not deacons and vice versa, it doesn't mean that that character trait is, is, is not important for the other office. Uh, it says for, for deacons they cannot be double-tongued. Uh, do you want a double-tongued pastor? Of course you don't. They aren't mutually exclusive. Furthermore, that elders must be able to teach does not mean that deacons may not teach. It simply means that primacy in teaching and preaching in the weekly congregational assembly is reserved for elders. Finally, what is a deacon's reward? We find it in verse 13. It says, for those who have served well as deacons... Obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. That word high standing is also, the word high can be translated good. Simply means that um, in, in serving, they achieve, and this is not to be thought of in a worldly way, they achieve a good rank. That, that, that there's a status to it. And, and, and I think what's helpful there is that in, in thinking of this, we can say they raise the bar of what a deacon should be when they serve well. Also, it says that they can have great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And what is meant by their great confidence is just simply boldness. They believe that Christ Jesus truly is their Savior. The Holy Spirit lives in them. And they absolutely were right when they placed their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to notice here that the reward for deacons doesn't come automatically. It says they must serve well. well. At least that's the the implication that they must serve well. And that word "obtain" means this: gain possession after considerable effort. You can be elected a deacon 
and put forth no effort at all. I served with men like that at a a different church. Uh, And I've been at different churches where that is the case. Where they were more concerned about the rank and status from a worldly standpoint than they were with serving well and working hard, considerable effort to gain possession of the reward that can be theirs if they serve well. I want to close with this. You might be asking this question in your mind. Could I have skipped today? You know, because this really doesn't matter to me. Why should this matter to you? I'll give you three reasons. One, because the word of God matters to you. Because the word of God matters to you. I know that. I know you well enough to know. The word of God matters to you. You want whoever stands here not to speak their own opinion without saying, this is my opinion and you can differ from me. You want whoever stands here to rightly divide the word of God and to say what it says. That's why this should matter to you because the word of God matters to you, but also because the body of Christ matters to you. You know, I've lived long enough, not not as long as some of you, and I don't mean that in a negative way, but I've lived long enough to see America go downhill. Some of you, you have a longer perspective than what I have. I can remember lining up before lunch, and Miss Boland would come down and say, Shannon, would you like to lead the prayer today? Yes, ma'am, I would. Those days are gone. Who would have ever thought that a man could marry a man and a woman could marry a woman? Who would have ever thought... That people would be willing to fight and die to make sure a baby could die in the womb. Doesn't that make you concerned for America? When Paul wrote this letter, he found some very concerning things. There were false teachers in the church. There were women who were not acting in accordance with creational order. Um, There were men who were praying in, 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 the, in the assembly and undoubtedly they must have had some little bit of friction. So Paul wrote because he was concerned about the church. He wrote about elders. He wrote about deacons. He wrote about women. He wrote about men because the body of Christ matters to him and if the body of Christ matters to you then this section of scripture matters to you and finally why should this matter to you because the glory of God matters to you I want to tell you a story I want to brag on my dad for a minute it's father's day after all and since I was not a good son and didn't get him a card this will be my father's day card when we were visiting dad and Bonnie my stepmom back during spring break they got a phone call and something had happened to someone in the church if I remember right a husband, a wife had lost her husband in a car wreck does that sound right? dad's a deacon there at First Baptist Waxahachie Bonnie teaches at Dallas Baptist University and she is trained in counseling they had us over at the house we traveled three hours to be there. Dad and Bonnie said, we got to go. And they got up and they went straight to that group of people. 
I was so proud of him in that moment for two reasons. One, I love my dad. But secondly, I was proud of him and Bonnie because in that moment, they operated as a deacon and a deacon's wife are supposed to operate. And don't, don't hear any, I'm just, in that moment, the glory of God was put on display. It was a hallelujah moment for me. I was so, I was sad that it happened. I was sad that they had to leave because we enjoyed visiting with him. But man, the glory of God was put on display. That's why it should matter to you about this section of Scripture. Father, we thank you for the office of deacon and for those who selflessly and faithfully serve in that role. We pray, God, that you would continue to raise up men in the church who could serve, who could love the church well, come alongside our deacon body to learn, to grow, to serve. We thank you for our deacons. We pray, God, your richest blessings upon them. We thank you for their character and for their service. And we pray that you would bless them in mighty ways. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and we're going to have a time of response together. Let's sing and the Lord's leading you to make any sort of decision. The floor is open for you to come. Open the eyes of just a moment. I promise I'll be brief. I just wanted to update you on a few things. Um, first of all, I failed to say how proud I was uh, and thankful I was for last week and all of those who served in VBS. We had a great VBS. So thankful for all of those that served. Um, and, and there was a lot of them. So thank you so much. Uh, we're not able to report that there are any decisions made, but we can report that there were lots of seeds planted. So continue to pray for those kids that were there. Sue asked me to read this card. It's from Carolyn Bowden Swindoll. Swindle or Swindoll? Swindoll. Suzanne, I want to thank you and all the ones at, at the Baptist Church for doing the refreshments following the service. It was very nice and enjoyed seeing a lot of people. Thank you to everybody. I appreciate a lot. Just another example of how our church continues to minister to all different kinds 
of folks in all different kinds of ways and, and how grateful people are when the body of Christ does what the body of Christ is supposed to do. So thank you all for that. I'm continuing to pray for Addie Webster. She's begun treatments, and uh, she's starting, as Roddy said, to lose her feathers a little bit. So, And that's sad for a four-year-old. Um, the first treatment, I think, went fairly well, but things are going to get ramped up, and I can't imagine a four-year-old going through what she's about to go through. Uh, continue to pray for Ben. I think Ben's had a pretty good week. Pray for Billy as he's on the mend with his shoulder uh, surgery. Uh, Bruce Sarapaka is home. We praise God for that. Um, I'd ask you to pray for Joey's girlfriend, Cambry Tidwell. Um, she is in Florida right now um, for at least another week, and then she's off to India to serve on a mission trip as a part of a medical missions team. And, and pray for Joey because he's been walking into walls and moping. And... You think I'm kidding. Um, pray for Richard Randolph. Praise God. He's home. He had a good uh, procedure done last week, a stent put in. And uh, we're, we're thankful that he is home. Um, anyone else we need to pray for? Anyone else we need to mention updates? So youth group will be Wednesday instead of tonight. And that's moving that so that they can take care of some things before they go to camp. Speaking of camp, uh, this week our kids leave to go to Central Kids, so um, kids and sponsors. And so I want to also pray for them when we have our time of prayer. Anything else we need to report or update or talk about before we pray? All right, let's stand. We'll have a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed with a great commission. Father, we are grateful uh, for how we, we see you work. We're grateful, um, Lord, that you are um, helping little Addie to fight. We pray for her and her family. God, we humbly ask in the name of Jesus that you would heal her little body, that you would bring health to it. And, Lord, um, for her family, that they would have peace and comfort and strength as they walk with her. Lord, we praise you for Ben, that he's home. We pray, praise you that Bruce and Richard are home. Pray for all of those for their continued uh, improvement and, and healing. Um, we do lift up Lord uh, Cambry and pray that as she finishes out this week in Florida and transitions to India, she'd use her in mighty ways. And we also lift up our, our Centra Kid group as they uh, go to Sherman this week and attend camp. We pray for safety as they travel. Pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit to be palpable and in their all the time that they're together, Lord, that you would use every part of camp uh, to reveal to the kids their need for Jesus Christ. For any that don't know him as Savior and Lord, that this would be the week that they have that saving knowledge. God, we praise you and we love you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me.